Picture it. Mm-hmm. Weird mustaches. Okay. IPAs. IPA. The Barclays Center. Okay. I'm talking about talking about Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yep. Yeah, but you talking about Brooklyn today. No, this is the essence of Brooklyn. That's the only Brooklyn there is. No, no. The white guys <laughs> with tight shirts on a city bike with a bad mustache and maybe a, a vegan drink. What do you mean? Like That's a- Brooklyn. That's where hip hop's from. You talking about a guy with a fedora yes. on a unicycle yes. buying vinyl. It's a different Brooklyn. That's the new Brooklyn. Oh. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. This is the One Epstein Podcast. Yeah. Starring you. Me. Peter Rosenberg. Right. From Hot 97. Yeah. ESPN. Right. WWE. Okay. Upper West Side. Yeah. You know, general guy. And then it's also starring you. Disgraced radio personality. Cypher Sounds. Hot 97. True TV. Yep. Random street corners begging for change. Stand-up comedian. Random street corners begging for change. It's the same thing. We both worked together at Hot 97, a hip-hop radio station here in New York City, and we started a podcast called One App. This is that podcast, and this season, we are diving deep into the life and times of Jay-Z. You know, the guy who everyone liked before he started working with the NFL. Yeah. And are you, is he, was he, will he be the greatest rapper of all time? All right, so I guess, Saif, we should talk about the fact that One Up is, is different this time around. Well, One Up's, One Up's has, has grown up. Right. Yeah, One, One Up, up got up. a job. Yeah, One yeah, Up yeah. got a job. That's right. <laughs> One Up has moved out of his mom's basement um, in the Bronx yeah. and now has a job. And this version of One Up is the same. You know, we were known for long-form hip-hop interviews, for, yeah. for deep dives, you know, joking around, making fun of ourselves, but also really getting nerdy details out of interviews. But Correct. we're, we're going to keep that, Scythe, but we're going to flip the script a little bit. Well, yeah, because, you know, you can't just be just a loser nerd for life. You got to right. somewhere in there get a paycheck. Exactly. And, and here we are. Well, and, and now we live in a time when there are already so many podcasts that just do interviews with people. Now, granted, we started the whole thing, but there are tons of podcasts that do that. So instead, what we're going to do is more like a comedic hip-hop documentary. What do you think about that? I don't like the way that sounds at all. That sounds contrived. Uh, Did you get that from uh, a marketing meeting? No, I just came up with that right now. Oh, you just made that up? And you hate it. Well, it's, it sounds like buzzwords, like well, we're going to be a digital integration of, of different markets. <laughs> Let's just That's do what we're going to be. Let's just no, do no, one up. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited. I'm excited about this because we're going to, I mean, here's the thing, man. If we were the hip hop nerds that did one app, let's 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 nerd out. Let's adult yes. fully nerd. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. how do we get even nerdier? We're going to go all the way in. So that's what you're going to get. You're going to get the same humor, the same hip-hop nerdery with just a slightly different format where you hear from different voices and we put together the whole movie. That's what One Ep 2019, 2020, and beyond is about. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, because my man Bob Power said, don't say the date. You know what I mean? So this is for eternity. And since we're now 
uh, adult nerding, somebody uh, hit us on our Instagram and hashtag where that quote comes from, or oh. send a DM or a or a Facebook or a LinkedIn. <laughs> send us a LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't know how LinkedIn Guys, works. <laughs> we're we're hashtag trending. <laughs> All right, let's go. So Brooklyn, Sife, can you can you describe? Let's set the scene. For what Brooklyn was like probably around the time Jay-Z was coming up. All right. So my recollection of just being a born and bred New Yorker, Brooklyn had a uh, reputation of uh, robbing people on the trains. Uh, uh, there was this group called the Decepticons. Yeah. Uh, there was this another group called the Low Lives. And mind you, I'm speaking third party hearsay. I don't want low lives and Decepticons to say I'm telling the story wrong. This is me as a kid roaming the streets of New York, being scared of low lives and Decepticons. Decepticons coming to rob you with a hammer. And if you wore any Ralph Lauren, any polo, the low lives were going to remove let that me, off your body. So let me explain real quick. The low lives mm -hmm. is a, they're a gang. But a we didn't, we didn't, yes, but we didn't use the term gang no, back no, no. in those days. But if you're thinking about it, crew. It, it was a crew. Yeah. But a, a crew that really loved fashion. They loved. Specifically, Ralph Lauren. No, no, exclusively. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. They would only wear Ralph Lauren. Yeah. Polo, to be exact. Yeah. Brooklyn has many different stages. Okay. I personally witnessed. You hate every stage of it, let's be honest. No, 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 no. I don't hate Brooklyn. I want you to stop saying that. Okay. It's just a weird rivalry between Uptown and Brooklyn. And you mean Harlem say, and the Bronx. When you say Uptown, you mean Upper Manhattan, Upper Harlem, Manhattan, Harlem, and the, Bronx. and the Bronx. And Brooklyn have a weird relationship. I would equate it to some kind of sports thing, but I don't know sports. Right. I understand. Isn't the difference, though, that Brooklyn does have some things that are worthwhile and one would want to go to, whereas the Bronx basically just has nothing anyone would enjoy? Well, what about the zoo? <laughs> That's a great point. Hip hop, they started. Hip hop is the birthplace. Thank God. But Brooklyn, I mean, Biggie. Biggie's from Bed Stuy. Um, Black Moon. Black Moon's all uh, Bushwick. Uh, MOP. Yep. Uh, They're Brownsville. Who else? Uh, Fabulous. Fab from Brooklyn. Most Def. Lil Kim. Uh, Foxy Brown. Flatbush Zombies. Flatbush Zombies. I jumped up a little bit more recently. Um, uh, who are we? We forget. I mean, we're, there's so yeah, many there's people. There's a million people. There's so many. Uh, oh, do you say most F and Quali? No, I just said most. I should have said Quali. Yeah, Quali's also That's from disrespectful. Brooklyn. Yeah, that was super rude of you. Sorry. Oh, old dirty bastard. And the Jizza. And the Jizza's from Brooklyn. And the Rizza. And the Rizza's yeah. from Brooklyn. Yeah. Originally, yeah. They're, they're, Originally Rizza too? I believe so. Yeah. It's a great borough, man. I mean, for hip hop, I would argue it could be the best. You know who else from there? Mm. Jay-Z. Jay I knew you were going to say that because yep. this podcast is about Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah, Jay-Z is from Brooklyn. Uh, if you don't know who Jay-Z is and you're listening to this podcast. Why are you listening? Yeah. If you love Beyonce that much and you want to learn more about her husband. Okay. Uh, from what we know, there's a lot of the story of him being talented and being in music, but also being in the streets hustling crack cocaine. You're talking about drugs. Yeah. Um, on where I'm from, for example, yes, he paints the most vivid picture of what life was like in Brooklyn. 
So when Jay-Z, a.k.a. Hove, sat down with us, two nerds, in 2011, he actually broke down what it was like growing up in that crazy Reagan era, the 80s. You know, we weren't we weren't given any opportunities. The difference between Bill Gates and, you know, Billy G from the hood is Bill Gates had access to computers way before anybody, Mm. you know, so he got to work on, you know, he got to touch computers. And and so now he he's created water. He's created something that's bigger than water, you know, because of the opportunities we wasn't we weren't afford wasn't afforded these opportunities. So we did what was in front of us yeah and what was in front of us it was drugs it was everywhere you got to figure what at the time you put the time into context and of course we made bad decisions i'm not saying every decision yeah, we yeah. made was great we're 16 years old <laughs> of course we're going to yeah, make yeah. bad decisions it, it just so happened that our decisions were life and death right you know that that doesn't happen in, that's the biggest difference it, between the suburbs yeah. a 16 year old makes a dumb decision right. they drink and drive they do something stupid they have a party when their parents are gone for the weekend right but the opportunity and mess to make, the house up right the opportunities to make bad decisions are totally Ex- different exactly okay uh, we could go back and forth for days on on Jay-Z on Hove and Brooklyn versus the Bronx but this season we're getting into the nitty gritty of the importance of of Jay-Z's career, whether you ride with him or not, whether you think he's the best or not, why we should care about Jay-Z and his career and his success and his importance to the culture. We're going to try our best to bring you the real insight, all right, to why Jay-Z really is the best in many people's eyes, how a person can come from nothing and have such an incredible, incredible career through the lens of a person who grew up with hip-hop but also defined it. Yeah, I look at it like we hear all these stories and all these different realms and genres of culture, of finance and, and, and Nobel Peace Prize winners and, and, and people that run nations. But this is our very own guy who defined the culture in many different ways or, or broke through the culture. And that's Hove. I don't you know what Rosenberg I don't like the mm. way you said the greatest in in many people's eyes do you not think he's the greatest I think I think he probably is but I mean have you have you ever heard of a guy named notorious Biggie Papa Smalls <laughs> That's how I heard you pronounce his name anyway but I have I I think Biggie's in that conversation um Hove is in that conversation. There are people who have Tupac in that conversation. People who have Nas in that conversation. One day, you know, people have Kendrick Lamar in that conversation. But I don't know, man. When you add up all the accomplishments in hip hop and outside of it, it's hard to argue that Jay-Z is not the greatest. How about this? He's the greatest export hip hop has ever had, too, because he does so many other things beyond hip hop. You know, he he was... If you know Jay-Z, there was a conflict of him going back and forth. Yes. Uh, you know, him rapping, but it not really he didn't get a deal. So he went back to the streets. But then other people in the music industry were like, no, you're so talented, you gotta come back. And he would he would teeter the line. And were you about to say a few minutes ago that Jay-Z would have been an incredible drug dealer? Yeah. 
So like, it's rare that you say that to someone. Like, I got to tell you, you you made a great artist. What a drug dealer you would have been. <laughs> I if mean, you had stuck with it, if you just stuck with it. Listen, I, I, this is pot. This podcast is fun. It's about hip hop. We're talking about Jay Z. But if we want to break down the socioeconomic trappings of the hood and how there's a lot of great businessmen, marketers, promotion, promotional directors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, distribution. All that. Sh- it's just that they couldn't get whatever, the degree, they didn't get the opportunity, so they used drugs. Not, I'm not talking about just dickhead crack dealers who just waste all their money in the strip club afterwards. I'm talking about people no, who really... No, took, took it seriously. It's business. And there's also a certain bit of mindyourbusiness.com. Mindyourbusiness.com before .com. Right, it's mind your business, you know, don't get in other people's business. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go listen to Code of the Streets by a group called Gangstar. It doesn't necessarily have to do with what we're talking about. But there's just a lot of certain rules and ways that people behave. So from this, from this Brooklyn place you speak of, this mysterious, magical 1980s Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Kind of a scary place to be the way you guys talk about it. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm saying magic, but it really sounds terrifying. (laughs) Um, But from that, from that, we actually get Young Hove when Mm -hmm. he was truly Young Hove. Right. Because by the time he started saying Young Hove, let's be honest, not that young. Right. He was trying to convince us he was Young <laughs> right. Hove. This is when he was actually just a kid named Sean Carter. He looked exactly the same. You ever notice that? That's a good point. He's always looked the same. He looked worse before. <laughs> <laughs> so, Saif, during these early years, this Jay-Z, he's not necessarily the guy you would picture today. No, not at all. Musically, he's not the same. He's gone through many different transformations. Yeah, I mean, f- physically, first of all, he probably was wearing a Kooji sweater. <laughs> probably. It's a totally different time. And also from a l- lyrical standpoint, though it's not the way he ended up, he was still dope back then and super advanced. Very, very much so. More more rhyme style than maybe uh, elaborate content. Right, but dope nonetheless. So we have this picture of old school Brooklyn from back in the day. Um, But in order to sort of understand what Jay was up against when he was starting his career, we need to hook up with some of the people who were actually there. People who witnessed the birth of Young Hove. Yeah, what can can you tell us about it? The the Brooklyn that you knew and grew up in. Um, What was... What was Crown Heights like at that time? And and from your recollection, what was Bed-Stuy like at that time? Shit, grimy. Grimy. That's the one and only Brooklyn native DJ Scratch, most known for being EPMD's DJ. But he also toured with Jay-Z. Yeah. Ill producer. Yep. Beyond Brooklyn. Super Brooklyn. And one of the greatest DJs of all time. I'm from Albany Projects in Brooklyn. It's actually on the border of Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy. Some people say Bed-Stuy, some people say Crown Heights, but... It was just grimy, but like, you know, back then you couldn't go to another projects unless you knew somebody there that was live mm-hmm. that that can allow you to get in there without getting your head knocked off. You know what I'm saying? So it was literally like that. Like, if Safe tried to walk through my projects, you would not make it through the projects. Come on now, I wouldn't do that. Like it was like He wouldn't have tried. I was <laughs> smarter than that. Like you like um the the line when Jay Z said uh on where I'm from when he said the girls will fuck with the guys up in uh Tompkins, but they will foul just like us. Like it was like that. Like if you dated a girl in like 
in, in let's say, in, in uh, Brevoid projects, you had to know somebody in that building or somewhere in that projects f- for you to get in and out of there without getting your head knocked off. And it was like that in every projects. So, okay, so what's the Brooklyn scene in those in those days when Jay was starting out? Because we always hear about him battling people. Was there a lot of battles around Brooklyn? Like, did each neighborhood go to other neighborhoods? Yeah, to battle of course, of course. You know, you had different, you know, you, 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 you know, technically Biggie was from Clinton Hill, like borderline Bed-Stuy, but then he would go to 50 Grand, his first DJ area, Bedford Avenue in Lexington, and Bedford Avenue in Quincy and battle cats from Bed-Stuy. Absolutely, that's what it was all about. Whether you was a DJ or rapper, you was going to different parts of the borough and... You was getting at it. The one and only Mr. C. All around great guy and Brooklyn aficionado. There was no problem going to other neighborhoods. Nah, because then you you was going there with other people. And 90% of the time, you're going into another area and you're going to know somebody in the other area that you're going to. So not only are you bringing people with you from your hood, you're going into the other area where you know people from that other area too. Okay, so there has to be some. So kind it of... goes back to the trust. What we said about, I said about yeah. the trust. We ain't going nowhere. We go. We gonna make sure we good. I credit a lot of Jay Z attitude, vibe, even success to the borough. Give me the Brooklyn breakdown of what you are. Jay-Z, big, like, what is it about Brooklyn that makes these things? People take people from Brooklyn as being arrogant, especially Bed-Stuy. Yeah. It's not about us being arrogant. It's about we don't trust nobody. Right. That's the, the, one, the main thing about cats from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, we don't trust nobody. And it's mainly because of where we come from. It's like just that whole area, that whole perimeter, us growing up, we always had to look over our shoulder, uh, you know, so it comes off as us being standoffish to people or us being distant to people. Like Brooklyn uh, Cats is the king of feel out. The not the emperors <laughs> of the feel out all day. But the Bedstuy Cats, our antennas is always up, and we're always thinking that somebody's trying to get over on us. All right, so Jay Z was a, a regular kid in Brooklyn. I don't think he was ever regular. And his well, his name was just Sean. Okay, he's okay. a kid named Sean, right, in Brooklyn. Yeah. And somehow, you know, he's interested in hip hop. He loves it. But how does he get from being regular guy Sean to being Jay-Z? Right. What's the catalyst? How does this rap career start? Right. What exact part of Brooklyn are you from? I'm from Bed-Stuy. Same part as Jay. So he's from Marcy. Five or six blocks up um, on Lewis Avenue, right by Roosevelt Projects. Oh, so it was close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Daddy Kane was a monster star. And back in 1988, had a smash. Yeah. The joint was called Ain't No Half Steppin'. I love that song. And he's also Mm -hmm. in the category of MCs himself and Rakim, probably the two most notable MCs who took hip hop from being one version of it that that you hear pre-1986, 87 to bridging the gap to where we could even have a Jay-Z because rappers were able to be as eloquent with their words while spitting as cats Mm. like Kane were. Like, I just don't think that there is a Jay-Z or today a J. Cole or a Kendrick Lamar if it wasn't for people like Kane who really took it, took the art form to a whole different level. And I know Jay-Z feels the same way about Kane. 
Here's Jay talking about it when we interviewed him back in 2011. I wanted to ask you about uh, meeting your heroes, meeting the gods of the game. Do you remember meeting Kane for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. When was that? Uh, it was a while ago at uh, Fresh Gordon's house. And uh, we made this tape, me, him, and Jazz. And he did set it off for the first time. I hadn't heard it as a record before. It was a freestyle first. And he said, put a quarter in your ass because you played yourself. And it wasn't even a popular saying. You played yourself wasn't popular. Oh, it wasn't popular time. yet. Mm. <laughs> so it was like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I was like, what did he j- put a quarter in your ass because you played, played yourself, yourself like a game at the arcade? And then he, you need a far aid. I'm walking the path that the law made. And I thought that I would never, ever be heard after that. <laughs> By the way, I like that Jay just said a while ago. That's how he described it. A while, it was a while ago. It was when he set it off. And I was like, wait a second. So that, that was, was a, what? When do you think that was? 87? Yeah. Oh, whenever, man. It was a long time ago. A while ago. <laughs> a while ago. So you knew, but so you really, so you got to know Kane basically. I, was, didn't, it, I didn't know him. We met that day. And then I met Kane that day, went back. He remembered me and asked Jazz, man, where that kid yeah. And he and that's how I we start hanging out. I remember he came into the projects, picked me up with that Batmobile Benz that he had. Everybody was going crazy. Well, you must that and must that's have been when we start. I start going on tour with him, and you know, that's when we really start. So was that like at that moment? Was that the greatest point in your life? Jay Z yeah. comes. To, I mean, uh, Kane comes pick you up. One hundred percent. Not 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 even close. Here's Big Daddy Kane again. What's the first memory you have of Jay Z? These guys um, called the Shirt Kings. They used to do all the sh- the, um, the cartoon painted shirts for everyone. Yeah. They uh they came to me and asked me about doing a mixtape with Jazz O. Jazz said, "Can my man rhyme on it?" And he had this skinny light skin dude with him. And I was like, you know, you know, that's on you. That's cool. So for those of you that don't know who Jazz O is, Jazz O was basically Jay Z's mentor. Uh, older rapper from Marcy Projects. Jazzo and Jay-Z actually had a record called Originators. Yeah. It's like a super, it typifies old school Jay-Z. Yes. Fast rapping, weird sample. The Originators. And most importantly, they had in the early days a song together called Hawaiian Sophie. Yeah, if you get the 12-inch of Hawaiian Sophie, Jay-Z is on the cover. Yeah, Hawaiian Sophie's interesting, Saif. It actually has sort of a go-go kind of DC swing to it. Yeah, you would hear that because you're the DC guy. You hear, like, the go-go swag in it. So the three of us, we made this mixtape. It came out great. And then afterwards, um, they said to me, they were like, well, yo, listen, um, we're trying to get jazz a new deal, actually. So we was hoping that we could use this to shop. Um, would you be willing to help out? And I was like, honestly, I kind of like the little skinny light skin dude better. Can I work with him? All right, so when we left off last time, Jay-Z was getting seen by people at these concerts. He was on stage. They didn't know who he was, but he was rocking the crowd. He had this fast style that he was working on, but he was still a very rough-around-the-edges new artist. Uh, Listen, the best way we're going to get information about Jay-Z is talking to the people who were around him in those early days. For example, let's get back to hearing from Mr. C. Now, we talked to Big Daddy King. 
You know, do you know? Have you heard of him? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think, I think I DJ for him once. You did DJ for him once or twice. <laughs> you were his DJ. Um, do you remember <laughs> when Jay Z first popped up on the scene? I remember like when Hove was coming around Kane's house. Hove and Source Money was coming around Kane's house. That's when he was living in Queens, New York, and he was coming around. And that's when I got to. Um, CJZ early on, but I didn't know that it was going to lead up to him coming on the road with us. Did you get the sense that he was a, potentially a big star? Or? No. I mean, when I was hearing his raps, I was like, yo, he can rhyme. But I didn't think that he would, of course, I didn't think that he would be who he became today. I didn't think not, that until later on in his career. Not but, even, Not even who he is today. Just like, did you think he would be a successful rapper? You know what I mean? Like nobody uh, knew what he, nobody knew what he was gonna be today, right? right that's could, impossible. That that's a given, right? So like I I knew that he I knew he had potential, and I knew he could be something. Yes. You know how you know back in that era is like this 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 could be a little something. This can be something. Right. Sure. Okay. I thought he can be something, but I didn't think it was gonna be reasonable though. All right. So he's he's on tour with you. Mm -hmm. Then I started thinking. I just came off the road with Patti LaBelle and I had seen something I never saw. Like, like I, I never, like I wasn't used to artists doing outfit changes on stage. Yeah. You know, so I was like, I need to be doing that in hip hop. So I took Jay-Z and Positive K on the road with me. And like in the middle of the show, I would bring them out to freestyle while I go backstage and change outfits. Now I had to G DJ for Jay-Z and Paz. And crazy thing is back then, well, never. Me and Kane never did rehearsals for shows. We never did a re rehearsal. Really? We just used to always be like, okay, we're going to do raw first verse, chorus, then we're going to go into set it off, then Hove going to come, Jay-Z going to come out. They didn't, with they didn't rehearse the dance moves no, and all that not, No, we didn't do none. Of, we didn't rehearse. <laughs> okay. We didn't rehearse. It's crazy because he's regarded as one of the best stage shows that kind of we've ever had. Yeah, but we used to game plan backstage 10, 15 minutes before we went on. Okay. So, um... But so now back to Jay-Z being on stage, I didn't practice anything with Jay-Z about what he was going to rhyme about or what he was going to say on stage. Right. It was just Kane telling me, Jay-Z going to come out or Positive K going to come out, whatever, and they, they're going to do their thing and then I'm going to come back out with a different outfit. So all I had to do was to just kind of keep the same uh, form of keeping the freestyle on beat like I would do with Kane. And kind of listen to the freestyle as Jay Z was saying it, and do the punch outs mm -hmm. on the whether it was impeach the president by the honey drippers or any other beat that I would use, and just kind of every four bars or every eight bars drop the music out so he can get his punchline in. But him him doing these freestyles on stage and holding his own. Now you got him. Nobody knows who Jay Z is, right. so he's doing these freestyles, getting the reaction on the with the crowd, that is what made me say he, yeah. Honestly, honestly, at that point in time, I thought that he could make a great impact because um, that rapid fire flow, um, people wasn't used to it. And then like, it was amazing the crowd every night on stage because it was like right. Positive K was saying funny rhymes. And then when he goes super fast, everybody be like, oh. It's kind of weird because Kane sounds like he just threw him out while he was doing a costume change. Right. And like, how do you announce that to the crowd? You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, 
You remember? I got to do something better. Yeah. So while I'm gone. There's going to be a random guy rapping real fast. Let's get back to the experts. Let's start with DJ Scratch. Jay's style was over everybody's head at that time. Sometimes he'd get a dope reaction. Sometimes they they won't understand it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. His style back then would be like, um, you know, he would put a bunch of syllables and words in, 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 in like a, a four bars. He'd say like ten words in four bars. So it'd be like, you know what I mean? It was rapid fire. Yeah, but very clear as well. So it wasn't like he was rapping fast. You couldn't understand. Now, and, and also it's interesting to think about this is when we talk about fast rapping, you have to understand this style um, was considered to be really new and modern yeah. at the time, uh-huh. really influenced by Kane and G-Rap and these artists who really were upping the level of where rap was years before that. And it almost like we saw sort of a rebirth of it in, in recent years, kind of with the Migos, yeah. right? When the Migos came out, it was like, oh, these guys are really fast. But they're also rapping over slow beats. Exactly. These were fast raps yeah. over fast beats. Right. And it's so funny because then you go back and listen to the fast rap and you're kind of like, what the fuck was he doing? Like, it was good. I really enjoyed it, but it doesn't hold up with his later work. You think he ran into Twister and was like, oh, somebody's doing this already. Yeah, yeah. I got to give up. <laughs> oh, you know, it's another thing. Hmm. Uh, that fast rap and those punchlines are great for shows. Yes. But when you're making songs and records... How long can someone listen to someone fast rap? Right. That's like almost like a a treat, like a specialty. Yeah. But we still need to get like some radio records happening here. Right. Like that's just on stage, just seeing it, you know? So I'm like on on record, you know, um, it would be a lot different because now you can actually rewind and hear what he's saying and see the cleverness and the wittiness that's in the lyrics as well, you know, as opposed to just hearing that one time on stage. Like, I'm like, you know, this dude can really, really blow. And then, like, when I met him, he was real quiet. Jay didn't really say too much. But as we got to know each right. other better, I started seeing his sense of humor and his sarcasm. I'm like, yeah, he ready. He's ready. But you got to evolve to become someone who's not just a quick act on stage, but yeah. someone who I'm buying music from and, and this sitting is why, listening to. This is why hip-hop culture revolves around the DJ, or at least used to, where they play all different kinds of records. They're in front of different crowds, and they are great Great DJs then turn into great producers and great A&Rs. Yes, and people should know just going into this, in hip-hop, the DJ traditionally is thought of as the backbone. Yeah. It's not the MC first. It's the DJ first. Well, it used the, to be. It used to be. The DJ was the person who could pick a good MC, who could pick the right beat, who understood timing of when people do what. There, The DJ was the orchestrator of the party. Now we just get shitted on. Yeah. Nobody up, likes us. End up doing low-rung, cheap podcasts. <laughs> So the one and only Big Daddy Kane, being the good dude that he is, not only took Young Hove under his wing and gave him the spotlight during his, like, Patti LaBelle-inspired costume changes, but was also connecting him to the right people who could get him his own deal. During that whole time, we were working on music, trying to, um, you know, uh, establish a deal, like a record deal for Jay at the time. Oh, wow. So you were, you were instrumental in trying to get him a deal. 
Yeah, like, you know, I had him on the road, like, you know, um, rocking at the shows, coming out in the middle of the show, but we were also taking him to, um, you know, labels, shopping music that we recorded on him. How how developed was he as an MC at that point? He reminded me of myself in so many ways because of his cockiness and arrogance in his rhymes, you know, so Oh, you mean that, that really... Brooklyn attitude? You're talking about Brooklyn? There you go, baby. Just a normal Brooklyn person <laughs> is what you're trying to say. <laughs> I gravitated to that. You know, I was like, yo, he got something, you know. This is always, this is where the fun sort of begins. You thought he was nice. Do you have any recollection of what you thought, you know, what the ceiling was? Like, how, like we were talking to C about this yesterday. C thought he was going to, you know, he could pop off. Obviously, no one had the vision of like, he's going to one day become a billionaire and be a worldwide superstar and everyone will know him. What did you see as like the initial what this guy could be capable of? Well, you know, I just thought he was I thought he was going to have a great career whenever whenever and whoever signed him. You know what I'm saying? Because nobody was rhyming like him and and Jazzo at that time. You know what I'm saying? So um, and he was crafty, real crafty, real slick talk. You know what I'm saying? Nobody was rapping like that back then so whoever signed him they just know you know back then you know you you actually developed artists and you know you promoted them you you put projects together the, the correct way mm-hmm. back then so i knew he, I, nobody would know what he would you know do today because that shit didn't exist back then but i just knew he was gonna be he was gonna have a great career all right cool so Jay's clearly got a lot of potential and the music thing is happening, but we still haven't figured out what happened to the drug career. You know what I'm saying? The drug career he always raps about. So despite sounding like fucking narcs, we had to ask someone who was actually there at the time. How much of the street life did you see when he was on the road with you or in those days? Was there like a lot of, did you see that side of him or was it like, you know, just music? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I was focused on the music, man. You know, I, I you, you know, you'd have to ask Jay about his street life. So, Rosenberg, what just happened was called a mindyourbusiness.com. <laughs> That's what Kane just gave me. <laughs> wow, that was really awkward, Saif. That's not awkward. That's a, a man from Brooklyn right. who now lives in North Carolina, who has nothing to do with any of this anymore, still giving us OmanyaBusiness.com. He really did. Slash, go fuck yourself, Yeah, Seth. Yeah, but, but what I like about it is that Jay-Z's been rapping for about over 20 years. Right. Documenting all of his street life in numerous records, interviews, and Kane is still like, nah, I don't know if he wants me to talk about that. That's, that's what's so <laughs> Brooklyn and hip-hop about it is. And we are such like, you know, square hip-hop fans that I think us talking about it makes us look like narcs even though even though really hove has talked about it time and time again also it just so happens that we did ask jay-z about these things here's a little more from our jay-z interview from 2011 when you hear a song like fuck the police in context you know why they saying these things right so i was giving some context behind these songs the generation that we grew up in a generation of hustlers that was the neighborhood was infiltrated with crack cocaine by people way pow- more powerful than us. You know, the whole Iran-Contra situation and Reaganomics and all these things led to our decisions. It wasn't like we woke up one day and said, we want to be the biggest drug dealers in the world. Right. 
99 Problems, which was years and years later, he's still talking about a real incident with him driving with drugs in the car. Well, that's the thing about Jay-Z at that time. From what we've pieced together from years and years of records is that he was still torn between... It's weird because at that time, the safer route was getting money in the streets. Yeah, but can't leave rap alone. The game needs me. You know, what I would do, I would come back in you know, on the clock or jazz urging, mm-hmm. and I would do something musical and then leave. And not be heard I would go back of. to Maryland, Virginia, and they, they wouldn't see me for six months, eight months. And then I would come back again, do something, you know. And I they were just, really, they were keeping you in it? Like, were you not that interested? 100%. I was interested but i didn't want to pursue it you got to figure at that time hustlers was getting more money than rappers yeah. we looked at rappers as clowns we pull up in benzes and lexuses they jump out of turtle top with 16 people <laughs> tight <laughs> bad clothing you know we had big chains if you look at every picture of me when i was young i had a huge chain four finger ring diamond you know i know the, ba- I was, the back of the, the jazz i was well. living up yeah and the yeah, jazz wanted- jury was my jury Jur- yeah you lent him that right yeah. so <laughs> And I don't mean as that's not a no. Jazz, jazz, don't go make a new record right now. So nobody's taking disrespect. So you know we were living. So I was I was almost embarrassed to say I wanted to be a rapper. It took me a long time to do that. So I was coming back, sneaking into my world, doing music, but then you know going back. Yeah, he was getting his money in the streets. That was income coming in, right? And he was like, I know how to do this. Now you want me to give it up? And entering this music industry, which I don't know how to navigate through this world yet. Right. He figured it out. He eventually figured it out. But it's so funny. He obviously struggled with it so much because it did remain in his music forever. Like it wasn't that long a period in his life, but it was obviously a really definitive period in his life. Izzo, which was one of his biggest records ever, the whole chorus is about what he used to do. And I remember how excited I was, even though he's dissing Maryland, when he says, Herbinum in the home of the Terrapins. First of all, it's Terrapins. He's making it a little bit of a reach. But we were so psyched to hear him say home of the Terrapins. But really, he was talking about, obviously, street life in Maryland, that trip to Maryland that he's always talking about. So I just find it interesting because it's a time in his life that while short in terms of actual dates impacted him forever. It was the decision that he made that eventually changed his life. And that 99 problems moment, maybe he ends up a drug dealer or in jail or whatever, but everything could have changed. Question I have for you, Saif. Do you know yeah. the answer to this? I'm hopefully. Jay-Z is a guy in Brooklyn. He's yes. rapping. He's Okay, I didn't ask the question. Oh, yet. Sorry. He's touring one with Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. He's rapping fast. People are messing with him. They're thinking he's dope. Where is he getting the sensibility like this Upper East Side, old money, rich sensibility that sort of ended up shaping him? I don't know. One episode hosted by Peter Rosenberg. That's me. And Cypher Sounds. That's me. Disgraced radio personality. <laughs> Our production team is associate producer Rob Dozier and production assistant Hebron Mendez. Dan Panarise is our associate editor. 
Our executive producer is Shakita Pascal. WANEP is a production of Mass Appeal and Endeavor Audio and is also created by producer Samantha Allison of Endeavor Audio and associate producer Savannah Jeffries of Mass Appeal as well as executive producer Mark Grandi, Grande, Grandunde of Mass Appeal and Dave Easton of Endeavor Audio. It's pronounced Dave Eastone. The series is engineered by Kasim Bradley and Cedric Wilson, who were also in the dramatics. Make sure you subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us, okay? And leave horrible, disgusting comments. No, 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 no. Positive comments with no! five stars. No, no, leave five stars. No, no, leave five stars. But also but talk, you want sh- still- talk right. shit. I want you to talk shit about my dead dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh like, my God. Yeah. Okay.